to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you are well. In today's podcast, I am joined by Carol Griggs and Ted Strauss, who are the creators of the iConscious model, which is a cutting-edge framework that streamlines the human development process from a holistic perspective. And we are going to speak about that model today. We're going to talk about the domains of this model, including one vector, which includes five different categories, consciousness, uniqueness, mind, emotions, and body. We will talk about what's in each of those domains. How have they divided up these different stages? We'll talk about how they use the model in combination with coaching, attunement, and we'll talk about AI and coaching. Both Ted and Carol have been intimately involved with the Loving AI project, and they are exploring bringing this model into AI to facilitate conscious evolution of people. Just a bit more about Carol and Ted. So Carol is an executive coach, a leadership development consultant, an international speaker and writer. We had her on the podcast previously talking about the role of consciousness and being in coaching. And Ted has been a writer and teacher of awakening for over 45 years. For 10 years, he taught transcendental meditation and then later spent 19 years in the the Waking Down community, building the foundations of that. And he's worked with thousands of students to assist them in their whole being awakening process. All right, that all being said, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Carol and Ted. All right, so Carol and Ted, it's uh, awesome to be with you both. I'm really excited about our conversation today. Uh, how are you both doing, first of all? Good. It's a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing great. There's a lot for us to talk about today. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, we're going to cover some different topics, the work you have both created and put out into the world, the iConscious model and uh, the assessments that you have and the, the work you do with people helping them to awaken, to evolve. And also uh, the work that you are doing around AI and consciousness development as well. So, uh, so, you know, there's a lot for us to dive into, but I think a good place to start is just to uh, have each of you talk a little bit about um, what if, what have you created? You know, what is the iConscious model? Uh, why, like, why did you create it? And and kind of like, what what is it enabling? So I've just packed a bunch of questions in there, but I think that's that'll create a platform for us to go in all kinds of directions. So I don't know which one of you wants to kind of pick that up first, but. Well, let me start by putting the model on the screen. There's a lot of people listening to this audio only. So whilst we, I love having the model on the screen, we'll, the video will go out at some point. Uh, let's make sure we name all the things verbally yeah. too, so people can listening can follow along. Yeah. So when Carol and I first started this project, what was moving us is the recognition that if we don't, until we have a clear comprehensive and testable model of what the awakening process is and the extent of it and the threads of it. Um, it would be hard to say that we could measure it and have and demonstrate that we can uh, encourage people to grow more rapidly as we're claiming. We're claiming accelerating personal development. And so we feel like we need to have this, what it is that we're measuring really clear. So in that whole process, we first started by recognizing that everybody has five major domains as part of their own being, and this includes our body, our emotions, mind, 
our uniqueness, everything that makes us different from others, and consciousness. And it's very clear to us that if you leave out any of these five domains, you're leaving out something so big that it's actually going to hold back the whole being development process. So that's why we had to name them. Lots of people talk about consciousness and they talk about mind and they talk about body or body and spirit or mind and spirit or but nobody talks about all five. And we're saying if you miss any of them, something, the whole thing gets slowed down. The whole process gets slowed down. So that's one dimension. That's the one, the first of three dimensions in the model. We call them the domains, and it has those five domains in it. The second domain is development, showing how we, how we grow in each of these five domains. And showing how we grow, we do sort of in two ways. One is in three phases, which we call dual, unified, and singular. And these phrases are an overall structure that refers to the sort of structure of consciousness in each of these phases. In the dual phase, the structure is, I'm a separate person having experiences in the world with other separate people. And there's a kind of a fractured and partial awareness in these various domains as we're doing that. So this whole first phase is really a search for one's whole being self and to discover what we're made out of and find a way to put them together. So that's a seeking phase, that whole thing. The second phase we call unified. That is where when we step over that line, we have recognized these five domains in ourselves. And now we're recognizing that there is no separation between these five. So there's no separation between consciousness and humanness, and really between self and other. It's this fundamental recognition of seamless connectedness with everything. And then there are things that happen within that phase, and that eventually brings us up to the singular phase, in which the subject-object structure of awareness dissolves, leaving just the experience of what is. No more self as a separate person having the experience of what is. So in essence, it sort of starts with two separate, it feels like two separate things, and then they become connected, and then it's absolutely only one. That's what this whole process is about. The third dimension of the model we call views, and we essentially imported this from Ken Wilber's work. We totally agree that without talking about the four views, subjective, which, observable. Which Ken, call, Ken calls uh, the four quadrants. Right. He calls four quadrants. We call them four views. We've renamed them because we just find it easier to memorize what they mean. And uh, that's really important for lots of reasons, because there isn't only the subjective view. Uh, we have our subjective view. And then there's what we call observable what others can see about us. And then there's what happens between people, that's relational. And then there's the system view, what's going on in the system and how individuals and systems are relating to each other. So with those three dimensions in mind, um, we drew, started making our model, did our research, read you know, lots of developers, consulted ancient spirituality, and consulted our own direct experience in our coaching work over the many years and drew up the model, which essentially is a um, an average. And I think it's important that we talk about it as an average because everybody's process is unique and different. And people kind of 
take three steps forward and two two steps back and move around a lot. But if you step back far enough in our experience, you always see the same pattern. And you can look at it just according to this. And what we find is when people actually read this thing, they start finding themselves. They start getting oriented in their entire lives. And they start saying, oh, yeah, right. When I was younger, I went, I remember going through that. I remember having that experience. This describes me now. And now I can see what's the very next thing. And as soon as they get there, their ability to get to that next place goes way faster because they can see it and they can get the kind of developmentally appropriate coaching that we offer and we teach coaches to offer. Beautiful. And Carol, I don't know if you want to add anything to what Ted is just saying now. Um, I think maybe just a little bit of a history. We started this model about seven or eight years ago and it's had many iterations along the way. And so this is, uh, this has been the tried and true one for the last multiple years. It's kind of substantiated and, and been through the test of time. Um, and we also on our website, for those that are interested in more of the history of this and how it relates to other developmental models, if, if you're a developmental model geek, um, this is the eye conscious development comparison chart, which you'll see on the left hand side are a host of different um, uh, researchers over time. So we got, well, we have Taoism and Zen at the top, and then O'Fallon, Wilbur, Cook Reuter, Cohen and Beck. So all of these researchers have done their work in different realms. And we, what we want to do is show how far their development went into. So in terms of traditional psychology, it stops around stage six. So you'll see that most of the spiritual stuff and the spiritual uh, leaders and systems go beyond that. But most of the other ones stop short right around six or seven. Um, and that is because traditional psychology breaks down at six because the sense of self is shifting into something that is no longer recognizable that psychology can identify as. Um, so that gives a developmental comparison chart from stages and some of the other research that's out there. But then we also did the views and domains and every researcher um, you'll see on the left hand side again we we went through probably 50 different researchers and and took their work and looked at what they covered and what they didn't and whether they covered uniqueness consciousness mind emotion body or whether they just studied consciousness as some do and or they just studied mind as many researchers do or they just study emotion or there's plenty of people who just study uniqueness um, with the myers-briggs type of thing and they the differences in the personalities and all that which is all wonderful they're all uh, pieces of the whole um, but what we, what we wanted to do and what felt important to us was to provide the whole, to really show the entire picture. Uh, because what we were noticing in our coaching was if they were really evolved, say, in consciousness and they've done a lot of meditation, there was a glitch somewhere else. There was something else that wasn't quite developed, whether that was mind or emotion, quite frankly, as often, or body. Um, and sometimes uniqueness actually as well. And what happens when consciousness is really evolved but then emotions is is not very evolved or their ability to relate is lagging and it causes a lot of integrity issues it causes trauma there's a, tr a gap with trauma in there um, relationships tend to suffer so we wanted to show the whole thing in one model so people could really start to identify where they need to spend their time and attention um, if consciousness is pretty well open and settled then it might be wise to look at the least developed parts of us and go there. So if I'm in consciousness stage 10 or whatever, but emotions, I'm in stage three, 
I would go to emotions and really start spending my time and attention to build that one up and start to integrate those aspects. Um, so in here, this is where it shows what, what uh, researchers studied what and what their work was all about. So, you know, Fowler did some consciousness, not a whole lot of uniqueness, quite a bit of mind, and then not much emotion body for just example. Um, and then we also talk about the views. Did they mostly talk about the subjective view and what's going on inside of me individually? Or did the researcher also talk about in relationship to other? Um, or did they talk mostly about the systems and, sy and systems thinking, which there are plenty of researchers that just work with systems um, and not the individual subjective experience. And others talk about mostly just the observable objective, behavioral type stuff. So we wanted to really give a clear picture of all four views and all five domains across all stages to give people the fullest picture possible of where they are developmentally um, so that they don't miss anything and then it holds back their evolution. And the thing is, the reason we're so focused on integration is because it's our experience that the more you take into consideration the views and the domains while you're helping clients grow, um, the more rounded and actually the faster they grow. It's just much more efficient because what happens is um, if you're, let's say you're missing putting attention on your body and your body's health therefore is slowly waning, is that going to have an impact on your consciousness realization? Without a doubt, your body is constantly distracting you with symptoms and problems and you don't have enough free energy and attention to just notice that there is something more subtle going on than that. Not and to mention the emotions true. that might be arising through the system that might not get seen or held or integrated because yeah. we're so occupied with other body stuff going on. The old days of just <laughs> focusing on consciousness from the spiritual aspect, if you will, or the old days of only focusing on the psychological. They're both. It's like the East and mm -hmm. the West um, and how we need them both. And typically people choose one or the other and they really hone in on the emotional and the mental emotional wellness and well-being, which is vital, or we are into um, consciousness evolution and waking up. But it's mm -hmm. it's just now recently that it's where people are realizing it's both and. Um, and sometimes a consciousness awakening is beautiful to then work with the emotions in a much easier, easier way, because there's more space for that to be there with less identification. Um, and whatever we don't deal with before awakening, we will deal with after. So um, we might as well just deal with it all as it arises. It works better. <laughs> there's, there's so many questions I could ask. Um, and, and just to the people listening on this, um, we will, uh, you said you can find these charts on your website, yeah? Yeah, so, I can't global. Maybe we can link to those on our notes page as well uh, so people can find those. But, um, you know, basically we're looking at this really rich, comprehensive, you know, series of domains of development you know, with a lot of detail in them, which I really appreciate when I was reading through your book, uh, you know, I was already starting to recognize myself and mm -hmm. some of the descriptions yeah. and that, that is empowering, you know, cause it, it, it can start to kind of, uh, you know, to define themselves more, to land more as you're reading about them. I just well, want yeah, to say, say one thing too, is yeah. you can find yourself for those listening and, or those that can see the model, you can typically find yourself and I know this model, looking at it can be overwhelming because it's pretty, it is pretty comprehensive, but it, it can be simplified in that you will find yourself in five places. So you'll find yourself primarily in one spot in consciousness, one in uniqueness, one in mind, emotions, and body. So if you start, say, at, at stage 
two or three and just work your way to the right. Find what feels most resonant. Because typically what happens if, if I'm in stage, say, five consciousness, seeking universal connection and learning to witness experience, if that is my, my, if that's how I'm really feeling life to be, I can, I'm starting to actually witness, oh, there's a thought, oh, there's, you know, there's an emotion. I'm starting to witness the experience. I'm probably in five. And if we look at four, I might be able to say, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago or two years ago or last year being in that, trying to control everything. Um, and I can feel usually the one ahead. Expanding awareness starts dissolving limited sense of thought. We can usually start to feel and what I, I say taste a little bit of the next one. But usually two steps ahead, we're, we're sometimes like, I don't know what the heck that is. Um, so that's how you can locate yourself. Um, if you can't locate yourself, which is totally fine too, we also have an assessment that you can take online um, that will help locate for you. Um, and then that'll give you the, kind of the next steps on, on what to lean into. And I want to I, add, I, as far yeah. as, you know, how much we've drilled down, this is really just the top level. It's kind of like a, an in, a table of contents. Um, under each of these locations, under each box here, there's a huge amount of extra information about each each location. In we have a thing called the treasury, and we haven't quite made public yet. It's currently being made um, available to our coaches, where they uh, can go into one of these locations and then look at a huge amount of information that's underneath that uh, by going through multiple categories and see. Uh, descriptions, stories, essays, videos, audios, books, practices, all specific to each location. So for example, Ted, I'm glad you brought this up, you know, like seeking peace of mind through positive thinking or making sense of conflicting concepts, like some of those mind ones, you know, you might click on that box and find Byron Katie's work. Byron Katie, and it'll give a list of books and audios and videos um, and Byron Katie is really known around um, working with the mind and breaking down the mind. And there's a certain stage of development in which that is key, absolutely key. So you'll see her work pop up. We really promote everybody's work. Um, you'll see her work pop up in some of the mind stuff, um, which allows coaches and leaders, as well as just participants and clients to go in and get all the resources they need at that stage of development. So for instance, if Ted clicks on mind stage, um, say five, you click on it and it opens into, you'll see on the left-hand side, descriptions, quotes, essays, stories, practices, resources. So it's a plethora of information to help somebody who's currently in that stage of development. And it often helps people feel seen and heard and understood because that is the worldview they're operating from. Stages of development are, are worldviews, self-views and worldviews, and they shift from stage to stage. So in this particular stage five development, you'll find Byron Katie's work. Um, for instance, this is just one example of loving what is and learning to work with the mind and deconstruct the mind and watch the mind um, and how it, how it operates. Um, so that is a, the treasury is a huge resource for those that are interested to do their own work on their own, uh, because it's, there's a lot of resources there to thumb through and you can do a lot of work by yourself, or there's also coaches that you can hire to help, help you move through some of these stages. And do you find that, um, you, you, cause you know, when I saw the, the different charts compared, you know, like Keegan's compared to 
you know, I think it was ending around um, stage five, you know, um, and he, I guess he focuses on meaning making, but then, you know, consciousness is going all the way up to 14. So is that, does that mean that people, you know, uh, who are in the, I know you mentioned there's three phases, like dual, unified and singular, you find people in the unified and singular phases are quite rare. Uh, do, Do you find that when you're working with people, they quickly start to evolve into those phases, like because of what this model and the way you coach them is bringing? We do um, experience clients moving uh, faster when they have a model that shows them where they're starting. You don't know where you're starting. You don't know where you're going. You're just picking a self-help book off the shelf and hoping that it's going to support where you are developmentally. I mean, it's a you know, that's the old ways of doing it. We're offering a GPS to say, here's where you are developmentally. And here are the resources that will help you get the needs met. Because each stage, the needs have to be met before we really move. So that's the power of coaching for those stages of development is we, we help them get their needs met in that stage of development so that it can accelerate. But if those needs aren't being met, or they're not being seen that there's a need there, then, um, you know, growth and development becomes really slow and stagnant. Um, and, you know, there are studies out there as to what percentage of people in the world, we don't have really in the United States um, in particular, but in the world that are in stage three versus stage four versus stage five, six, and seven. Um, and the numbers show that the majority of the world really is between stages, um, is, is right around stage three, actually. The, the bulk of them are in three. Um, the U.S. has a significant amount of stage four. I don't know about other countries. There's a there's about 20 percent, maybe maybe 25 at this point in stage five and even less in stage six. And then stage seven, I think the last we heard, Ted, was maybe five years ago. There was like 0.02 percent of the world population is in seven. So it, it just, you know, if you can then imagine how many are in 14, there's probably a couple mm-hmm. handfuls. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean it's impossible and it doesn't mean that, I mean, I really think that there's a, there's a curve here um, and things are evolving quicker than they have in the past. Uh, the previous research showed that it took 10 years to, uh, the average is somebody spends about 10 years in one stage of development before they evolve into the next stage. So what we have seen though is the higher you are developmentally, the faster that goes. So you mm. could spend 10 years or 15 years in stage two and then maybe 10 years in three and then eight years in four. And the, the more evolved you mm-hmm. are, and especially if you have a coach who's identified where you are developmentally and you're really working with somebody to help you, that that really, that curve goes up pretty rapidly. And do you think it coheres a bit? So for example, uh, as you kind of, you know, progress in consciousness, that, that like you alluded to this before, Carol, that then that opens up your capacity to be, for example, with, uh, difficult emotions or shadow or even yeah. maybe at some point uh like part of that is um a uh, kind of an emergence of repressed material into consciousness that wasn't possible before so i'm just wondering if yeah. there's like a kind of you know maybe a, a, an evening out of stages possible yeah we we work towards integration um, because integration has a, a natural felt sense of wholeness when there's more of an integration um for one. And two, we've noticed that consciousness is really the lead. Um, you, you really can't evolve your body beyond consciousness per se. Um, so consciousness is the container in which these things arise. So 
consciousness is really the foundational key piece in this. Um, and when that is grounded, say there's an awakening that is grounded and very open. Now there's, there's room for these emotions to arise and thoughts to flutter through. Um, and there's not as much bothersome, but when you are stuck inside your body and feeling like I'm stuck inside and I'm contained inside this body, it's a lot tighter and not as much room. Like one emotion comes up and it can set you off. So when consciousness has been expanded, there's just much more capacity to hold what's here. Now, it doesn't mean um, once there's been a consciousness awakening that there's not a plethora of stuff down there waiting that's been repressed. Scott Killaby has been doing some phenomenal work recently. Uh, I've been kind of following him and his work, and I'm just incredibly impressed at how he's, he's also combining uh, the consciousness awakening along with repressive work and any repressed anything, and he has tools and whatnot to kind of dig that stuff up. So we're kind of running parallel with him in, in certain ways. Um, so I do think there are a lot of practitioners that are realizing now that you, it's not an or. It's conscious human development, as Ted and I have kind of coined it, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's not the evolution of consciousness and human development, which is like, you know, awakening and psychology. It is, it is the whole kit and caboodle. Um, and you can lean into one or the other or, you know, um, but they've, they've got to go together because without, without one or the other, we're, we're in trouble, truly. Hmm. I, I want to add that um, the holistic integrative view is a huge aspect of what causes the acceleration because we grew up in a world where um, these five domains and these four views were considered in very split ways. And so people were sort of in many ways acting against their own development process, thinking I should be going for consciousness, I should be repressing my emotions, I should be doing tons of yoga and lots of psychedelic drugs. And people are really just confused. They don't know how to hold their whole being development process with a single view. And when you get that single view and you start understanding how all of these things integrate and go together, including in practices, everything changes. Instead of things working against each other in the development process, they all start working together. And that accelerates everything. Because uh, how um, does somebody hold that single view? Because uh, it could on the one hand get complicated, yeah? Like if I'm like, wow, I've got to do some emotional work here and body work here um, and consciousness work here. Uh, how how, do, how can they like hold that in a gestalt in a way that creates that integration you're talking about rather than them feeling maybe like fra not fractured, but, you know, like a bit like, where where do I go now? You know? Yeah, that makes I, sense. Yeah, I, I think that we human beings are amazing at holding a, a billion different things together all the time. And how did we get there? Well, one piece at a time. Like if you're learning to drive. Yeah, I got, how do I start the car? How do I turn the car? How do I deal with what's coming through the windshield and the back and the sides and what's coming to me through the dash and all of that? There's a lot to integrate when you're driving. And even though it's like a million things, after we just do it for a while, you just get it. And it's like that when you learn this, we start training people how to think this way and practice this way. And it just goes into the bones and you just start functioning that way. And little pieces, you know, I mean, you can look at um, one aspect of um, maybe emotion and just start working with a little piece every day on that while you have your meditation practice in the morning and maybe 
awareness and some body thing pops up and the emotion piece goes down for a little bit. And I spend a few weeks on the body part, you know, so there, there are ways it's, it's not like all five domains and all four views every day, all day. It's not, it's not like that. Um, but we do follow the wisdom of the body once we have a better understanding of where the needs are the most and can really push the pedal and lean into what's needed the most. And then we can throttle back on mm. one and kind of lean into the other. So they're all here. We just tend to lean here or lean there or lean there. Um, but they're all here in one view. And we, once we have access to seeing all of them, then we can, um, at the appropriate time, we can lean into the right one. But if I don't have access to one when I can't see it, I'm not going to lean into it at the right time. So having the full view allows us access to build those muscles to feel comfortable to lean into whatever aspect is here and needs to shine bright in that moment. Mm -hmm. Nice. I think so. As coaches, we we avoid overwhelming our clients with too many practices or too many ways to look. We just, like she said, we just like find what's needed and add that. And over time, they get a more holistic view. I like that you bring in needs as well, because um, I wonder how, if I can formulate this, like you see, in a way, maybe it gets at like how development unfolds, because I remember my own earlier journey where I used to kind of try and make development happen, you know, and I read about these like fancy, like higher stages of maturity. And first of all, I was like, oh, that's me, you know, and <laughs> I look back with like, Holy shit, that was how wrong was I? I seem to be going backwards as I got older, but yeah, I was just getting more realistic. But there's something about like how do you see development? Because what I when I got older, what I realized was it was actually about less about trying to develop and more about um, you know, like meeting myself where I was and the things that needed to be met. And as I included those, there was a kind of like yeah, to use your word, integration that started to take place, which was much more organic. And then and then that created the structure for something else to begin right. to, to unfold. So because, so, you know, recently there's been this also this discussion around like, you know, are stages like linear like, you know, um, is that too mechanical to see them like that? Well, it's not um, linear how do they in the unfold? way that we're climbing. You know, hmm. we laid it out horizontally for a reason. If, if it was like climbing, we, we would have done it laterally, you know, mm -hmm. um, vertically oriented. And we talked, Ted and I talked about this, you know, a long time ago when we were developing the model, but it's horizontal and it's not, it's, it's horizontal in the way of expansion. There's an expansion that happens from stage to stage. Capacity increases, visibility increases. So it's less about hierarchy or, you know, better than or more. It's, it's just, and it's a greater expansion in capacity that happens as we evolve and grow and can handle more and see more and experience more. Mm. Well, yeah, I think your question also sort of pointed to the whole issue of the limits of models. And, you know, are they, can a model, you know, how much does the model represent the territory? And the answer is, our answer is on average, reasonably well, but it's not the territory. And we know that. And it's, you know, we're not saying that actually what we're kind of saying is it isn't, it's kind of impossible to model the actual reality. Um, you can get close and you're always, it's kind of like how science does it. You're always adding more, more, um, more parameters to the, to the system. Um, but basically, if you understand the description that it's kind of like you're watching a tree grow, at what point do you say it went from 
sprout to you know some seedling to sprout and from sprout to young shoot or or whatever it's a little arbitrary so we just chose to draw the lines in the places that make the most sense to us based on where people experience uh usually experience some important shifts between stages and having done that close enough we train our coaches not to hold too tight to the lines and the boxes but to just look through all of this and hold this in the background while understanding where somebody is at so we can give them appropriate help. And to go back to what you were saying, Joel, about, you know, chasing development and kind of climbing, wanting to just climb, climb, climb to development and getting to a place of just accepting what's here. That's one thing that we talk about a lot is that is step one is can I accept who I am as I am right now? And what parts am I rejecting, cutting off? And can I start to include those parts? Because we can't, we can't move. We can't develop forward until we have a yes to where we are right now. So that's why it's actually really important that people are honest in their assessment. We've had plenty of people that are like, like you mentioned, oh yeah, I'm in 14. We see it all the time and it doesn't do them a service. They're going to get, they'll just be stuck until they actually realize they're not in 14 and they're in four or whatever. And once they realize they're in four and there's a kind of a, okay, I'm in four. I see this. I see the patterns. I see where I'm stuck. I see the parts I'm cutting off. I need to work to just integrate where I am right now. This is where also loving what is. Can I come to, can I come to the reality of what is and who I am right now? Because once we settle into the reality of where I am right now, there's actually opportunity to move, but there's not much opportunity to move until we acknowledge what is. Yeah. And that's the power and, also of coaching is can you love your client exactly where they are without an agenda to push or pull? Because they will feel that consciously or unconsciously and will keep them stuck. So yeah. helping them love where you are, love like because they've cut off parts of them that they've not been able to love where they are. So mm-hmm. As a coach, can you start there helping them to acknowledge the parts they've cut off and helping them love those parts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why we're all focused on needs. What are the needs? So when we get the assessment, which is now like very pinpointed clear, we go straight from that to the needs. And instead of saying, you know, here's your next thing that you need to achieve in your development. No, we're saying, here's the need that wasn't met. Here's a good way to meet that need. And they're all like, oh, right. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, right. That reminds me, I never got loved when I was a kid. And I need to, you know, put myself into situations where I'm being loved like that. I mean, there was a guy I was working with yesterday who it's really obvious. We pinpointed his, his location. And I pointed out that um, he had just never gotten the kind of love he needed. And he was trying to compensate as we all do, you know, we go through our compensations and then they get complicated and we feel like these complications uh, go into spiritual directions and things like that. More practice and but it just bypasses yeah it just bypasses these these needs that didn't get met and i i was just saying you know find somebody to non-sexually just hold you and spend a a good amount of time being held like that and take it in and there's a power in self-love and there's a power in what ted i think it's great Mm -hmm. you're pointing out in actually getting the external felt sense of that there's because you know, trauma as a child, whether it's just not being loved, that's trauma, um, needs to be met 
you know, you can go to individual therapy and work on self-love, which is vital too, to love your little child within you. But it's also vital to get that externally, even as an adult in a non-sexual way, because healing trauma in re- that happens typically in relationship as a child is typically healed in relationship as an adult. So you can do a lot of self-work for sure. That's the foundation to then going out and getting received also from another human and feeling received from somebody else being hugged or whatever like that, um, I think is really powerful. So it's a both and in that way I do want to name. Absolutely. Chicken and egg situation. Yeah. What, what I like about what you hear it, what you're saying is, um, and I wanted to ask this was, you know, are there, are there ways of being that you invite coaches who train in your work to, um, to kind of take on that, can, that, that can then help their clients in this process of integration and so I'm hearing that in some of the things you're saying, like accepting yourself as you are um, is a powerful practice and and that that may lead to a kind of um, experience of depth in the coaching, you know, that if they, be, and I wonder what you think about this, like if they're with you and they're getting support in accepting a part of them that formed when they were younger and that they can be with that unconditionally, then that part might begin to relax and then you know, then um, they might start to notice uh, in that moment, they might start to expand in some way or to to kind of, you know, you talked about uh, expanding. So maybe they access a different type of consciousness. And, um, and so um, I guess why I'm asking that is because I'm wondering if for you, there are like these principles that you that you bring in when you train coaches rather than having to know everything, you know, like if you look at your model on one hand, you could, cause it's, I see this with coaches. Yeah. When they, they, they like feel like they need to know everything. Yeah. Like there's so much complexity to people. Mm. So I've got to train in this and that, and now I've got to know that approach and um, it can get, it become a lot. So I wonder if there are almost like these meta competencies that you're starting to describe that 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 are universally good at helping consciousness unfold there's a long way to get to that question i'll pass the baton yeah it's a big question um the one i would start with is you cannot coach beyond your own uh evolution so if i'm at stage five consciousness i really can't coach somebody beyond stage four or five i can't coach somebody beyond where i'm at So if I'm only at stage four, I'm not at a place where I've integrated and loved all parts of me. That's like stage four is not there. So I'm not going to be able to lead somebody and loving all themselves when I haven't done that for myself. It's just, it's just literally impossible. It, you can, the words can come out, but it won't have the same impact and transformational abilities. Um, So that's one thing I would say is, is coach, coach clients that are, appropriate to where you are developmentally. So, yeah, you're asking about um, some skills and uh, abilities that we teach coaches. The iConscious Coaches and Leaders program is 10 weeks chock full of that stuff. And so there's a lot of it. We're not going to be able to touch on more than a few points, but one of them would be um, listening, the capacity to listen. Because when somebody comes into coaching at whatever level they're at in their own development, to whatever degree the coach is not right there really getting their reality, 
then the coach is coaching somebody in their head. They're not coaching that person. And that's why when, you know, we train people to really listen very, very deeply and to make that like the first priority, because there's, there's people who go into major awakening openings just by being heard. Heard and heard yeah. and attuned to, I want to yes. name, because yeah. attuned to is a much deeper full body seeing um, than just the traditional listening and hearing, although there's a lot of value in literally just listening mm -hmm. without um, talking over or, you know, not being conscious to every word they're saying, but it, it's like an intuiting and a, in a real keen attunement to what is being said and where what is being said is coming from, I think is, is vital for the coach to be able to feel into um, what's going on in the client's system. Yeah, I think, you know, coaches generally tend to work that way intuitively, but I've seen a lot of coaches um, spend a lot of time talking <laughs> and not enough time listening. And uh, that might help them feel good about themselves, but we're really here for the clients. So that whole thing of really getting into the reality of the client and feeling that and being present with them in that, being met, you know, Gabor Mate recently talked about how the traumas we experienced growing up weren't as much about the incidents that we experienced. It was about being left alone in them. That was the trauma. And so when we get with people and we start by just really listening to what, what they need to say, for many, for most people, it's the first time they've ever been heard that deeply. And people will just often start crying because Weeping. of that. Yeah. It's just so beautiful to be just met with right who they are and where they are and their their uniqueness being gotten. Can I can I ask like before you go on to another maybe uh, follow up question? I'm I'm imagining that as um, someone develops, they refine their sensitivity. They 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 maybe develop beyond being identified purely with their physical body and thoughts, and and that that capacity to attune in a non judgmental way then refines itself and that can become part of the coaching conversation, maybe both in terms of what the coach then shares with the client, but just in a nonverbal, you know, transmissive energetic sense, they just feel fully met. Well, in a, like a, clients can feel consciously or not, they can feel whether the coach is coming at them with a clear, with clear consciousness or whether they're being met with a bunch of, um, judgmental thoughts and they're being met with the head it is it's felt um, and so safety is created from where the coach is coming from so if they're coming from a clear consciousness with a heart open there's a safety that's created so they call it psychological safety um, and there's a, there's a place where they there's non-judgment and anything is welcome here so all the parts of them that they don't even want to show themselves shame and whatever they're shameful of they can start to show and the light of awareness can be seen and the integration process can begin so if they're sensing from the coach that there's any judgment whatsoever those parts of them that they're not even capable of exposing to themselves barely they're certainly not going to expose it to a coach so having that that loving open space is completely vital and found foundational which is what i wrote in that first book that you and i talked about joel about you know space to see reality what does create that transformational space between client and and uh coach 
and what, what the, the presence of the coach and how that is actually vital to the transformational like possibilities for the client. So that really is foundational. And then we use these tools like the iConscious model as the, as the framework that we can use as a part of, but that, that foundation of how the coach shows up and identifies themselves and how clear they are is paramount to their capacities to attune to a client and to create a space where the client will actually share things that they would probably never share with anybody else on the planet. And we spend a whole module on creating safety for your work with your clients in the coach training program. Because mm -hmm. it's that important. Um, and I, you know, our related point to that is there are a lot of people who feel like, you know, there, there are the kinds of teachers who love to just get really penetrating and just tell it straight and, you know, sort of tear people open because they think it's good for them and give them sort of mm -hmm. highly masculine way of looking at their situation. And uh, one of the things we're finding is that, yeah, there's a, obviously this is both masculine and feminine, but finding the right balance is really crucially important. And if you start in with a client coming from that masculine perspective, it doesn't feel safe. Like, and if you've integrated the masculine and feminine within yourself, you will have the versatility to, as Ted would say, use whatever tool is necessary given the moment and given the client and given the literally the very moment, because there are some yeah. clients in that very moment, a sharp sword is needed and it, yeah. and it penetrates in a way that a heart couldn't, couldn't. Um, right. And other times a heart is totally needed to flower open. So we need the heart and the sword. We can call it masculine feminine. But so if, if I haven't integrated both masculine and feminine, I don't have access to one or the other comfortably, then I'm not going to be able to coach from both. Mm -hmm. So again, it goes back to what's the work that I've done and my comfortability to look at all parts of me, shame, grief, bliss, all of these things is of whatever I can't feel myself. I'm certainly not going to be able to feel when my client expresses and I will find subtle ways to shut it down. And same with the heart and the sword in mm. terms of the way we coach and how they're both needed. But if we don't have access to that within ourselves, again, we're not going to have that versatile tool that when we attune to what's needed to be able to lean in quick to that particular tool. Mm -hmm. So again, it comes back to the, the coach and what is my level of integration and development because my level of integration is key to supporting you and whatever stuck areas are in you that you're not able to love and adore and bring into um, integration. Right. And I just want to point out that when the coach is not super attuned in this kind of way to the client and hasn't established that safety by first starting with the heart, then when it's time for the sword, there won't be that permission that's going to be needed to come in with that stuff. It's just that's going to right. push them away. And it's going to create another wound. This, this it, creates very fine attunement through the process. I, I don't know what you think about, and is there a corrective balancing taking place where it seems like we've grown up in a culture where, you know, like to the schooling systems and so on, where people are, you know, judged upon how they perform and things. And, um, you know, that, and, and then we grow up in a family where we might experience wounding of some kind. So, you know, there's just needed like that space where there's safety, basically, where people can let go of the strategies. And, you know, there's just a lot of um, imposing, like I remember myself, like imposing of like have an agenda upon myself to fix myself or to get to a certain place. So, so maybe we need that feminine um, 
acceptance more uh, to begin to integrate. And then later on, the masculine, I don't know if that fits for you. Yeah, and some stages of development lean more towards the feminine or masculine or the heart or the sword. Like stage four really leans towards the sword, mm-hmm. whereas stage five really leans towards the heart. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. depending on what stage of development at you're at, you, you're probably leaning too hard in that way. Fives lean very hard into the heart. If you've ever been in a meeting with a five, it's like, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it'll take forever to get through the meeting. Um, Why is that? uh, Because there's equality harmony. Their number one value is that everybody is heard. Everybody's seen. Everybody's voice, voice matters. Everything everybody has to say needs to be heard. And we need everybody to agree. And we can't leave the table until we do. And there are certain cultures that you get into a meeting like that and you're like, holy crap, like, is this meeting ever going to end? But if one person of the 10 don't agree, they will sit and wait to better Mm -hmm. understand the feelings of that person and what they need, which is all vital and important. But there's a certain place and time to be like, we got to move on. And we need to have somebody make a decision to move on. And so it's the combination of four, which is kind of more than very much individually focused and more the sword, like kind of dog eat dog. Um, old old school corporate America of like climbing the hierarchical ladder, um, and there's much less heart there, and it's much more like um, we're going to make a decision and move on. So sorry, your feelings are hurt, but we got to move on. Mm-hmm. That's more fours. Where fives are just it's just it shifts, and it's much more. It's it's actually uh, a shift out of four into five is to kind of make up for what they came out of in four. And six is the combination. Six is really the first stage. Inclusive is what we call it where both are needed and both are welcomed because fours think the five's heart is ridiculous and fives think the four's sword is harsh. Whereas sixes love and appreciate the heart of the fives and love and appreciate the sword of the fours. And they see the value in both and the need for both because then once we integrate both, it's the first stage where we actually really integrate um everything all previous stages are finally fully integrated and then we're able to play the fiddle so we can go into any room and into any meeting and there's a time and a place for the heart and hear everybody's opinion and what everybody needs to say and to be heard and there's a time to have the sword and to bring the sword out and the the sword of clarity so stage six is the first stage where we're actually able to honor respect and want all those qualities and notice at that point that we we need them all so um Whereas like fours don't like fives and they don't like threes and fives don't like sixes and they don't like fours, you know, because their value systems are so um, they're, they're in a bit of a silo in terms of what's important mm. and then unimportanting other pieces. Whereas sixes, there's like, no, they're all important and they're all welcome here and they're all needed here to varying degrees at different moments, given the different time. And, and do you find that as a coach, then if you're with, like I'm hearing a trend of like, as people mature, they're able to hold like uh, both and they're able to see the value in the the different stages you're naming. And I'm just wondering if we extrapolate that as a coach, do you find yourself, you know, like being different with people say from like the, I mean, imagine the answer, the simple answer is yes, but if someone's in the dual stage and then, you know, how are you generally with them? If they're in the unified stage, what are you generally doing with them welcoming or inviting? And then if they're moving into the singular, what, what what's the name of the game there? What are you, what are you doing with them there in general? Yeah. 
as general it's a very general question so well, I mean, and we can just follow the model right we can just follow the model and you can see what the need is and that's what we're working on so the need of stage six as they're kind of bumping into seven into awakening is going to be very different than the need of a stage eight moving into nine or nine moving into ten and so that's the name of the game actually is we meet them differently in each stage do i show up different no i i mean i might I, a part of me might lean more forward. Like if I'm working with a four, I might bring more of the four energy forward to be seen, felt, met, and understood. Um, but I don't leave out any other parts of me. Um, but, you know, you want to lean into that person and meet them where they are. Um, but other than that, you're just meeting them where, where they are developmentally and, and what the, the needs are that need to be met at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm. And as far as a sort of a generalization about how things might look over these different phases, uh, in phase one, we're helping people find their parts, right? If they haven't found consciousness, we'll help them find consciousness. If their emotions have been shut down since childhood, we help them awaken their emotions. So whatever, and, and if they're just always stuck in their subjective perspective and never look at how other people see them or what's going on in relationship or what's happening in systems, we help them open themselves to these aspects. So that's sort of generally what's happening in the, the first phase. And then toward the end of phase one, we're helping them start to feel all of these aspects together. Because the more you can hold these parts all at the same time and feel them, the more you're starting to come toward unity, because there's unity comes from the cessation of pushing away parts that we're banishing in ourselves. So every time we push away something we don't like and we try desperately to overcome it, we're actually moving in the opposite direction from unity consciousness. So part of what we're helping them do to get to unity is learn how to embrace everything mm. that is and get really specific about how to do that. And then as they come closer, we help them learn how to feel the discomforts, the existential discomforts that they've been pushing away. Because that's another war. As soon as the existential material starts popping up, somewhere around stage six, usually, if people are not properly oriented to that, they're like, oh my God, I'm doing something wrong. I gotta go go back and do, you know, a thousand pranayams. Um, (laughs) And we're like, no, that would be the wrong direction. Let's just hold this and feel this and tell me, you know, tell me what this is actually feeling like. And I help them just stay present with that. And then uh, unity starts dawning through helping people hold all of their various parts that we help them find. Then when we get into the unified phase, the first thing is help them acknowledge their own shift. Because uh, I've worked with lots of people who have actually unconsciously cross the line without quite knowing it because it's not always a big bang. A lot of times it's just a gradual shift. And when people don't understand what happened and they can't stand, they they don't own it. They don't know how to own it, especially if they've been um, disempowered around owning a major awakening. And lots of people have unconsciously by teachers who were basically saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, here to help you awaken, but really you're not going to, I'm the, I'm the awakened one. And you're all going to, you know, maybe come a little bit the distance that I've been able to travel, which is, you know, horribly disempowering and untrue. And uh, we don't need that anymore. So, mm. so yeah, we help them own it where they are. And then we help them start cooperating with the consequences of the unity awakening. 
And the biggest consequence of the unity, unity awakening is the gradual recognition that what I've realized and what my conditioning is doing are kind of on different levels. Like, like I've had this big unity awakening and I know that I'm part of the universe and I'm not separate from anybody or anything. But my conditioning has me believe that I'm a separate person in the world and I'm transacting energy, you know, exchanges with other human beings that are separate from me. And there's a certain way we've been trained to do that from a fundamentally sealed off perspective, you know, as a separate person. But once you had the unity recognition, it's like, wow, wait, I've got to find some way to resolve these two parts. And that's what the whole rest of phase two is all about. It's the healing. So that we got to we help people learn how to cooperate with the needs that weren't fully met in our childhood, with the traumas and the wounds that weren't resolved, to really look at all of the ways they're doing their life, because it's not enough to be awake. We're not here to be awake. We're here to be who we are in the world. And to be who we are in the world, we have to get rid of all this horrifically bad negative conditioning that's really designed to kill us to negate us and take us down. Not that anybody was doing that on purpose, but that is the functional reality of it. So after you have the unity reality uh, experience, we help people go through the healing process. We call it transforming stage at stage 10. And then after they go through significantly through that, we get to stage 11, which is about, okay, I'm awake. Why am I awake? Oh, I have a purpose. Okay, what's that purpose? So we help them clarify their purpose. Once they mm. get clear what their life purpose is, then they start coming up against, yeah, okay, well, now I realize why I'm not doing my life purpose. I'm scared. Every time I think of doing this thing, I get all this fear that I'm going to be crucified. And it's difficult to really, really hone in on life purpose until we've gone through some development. Um, because otherwise, old patterns um, and previous traumas and ways and... and uh, belief systems tend to cloud our capacity to really, really see what I'm here to do. Because it usually has to go through the filters of what would my parents think and my my family of origin and the people around me and my social circles and social networks. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that would keep somebody from even wanting to see it for themselves what they're really here to do. Well, that's what I really like about your model is that uh, it has conscious. So, you know, a lot of the traditional developmental models don't have consciousness inside of it and certainly don't have uniqueness either. And so I appreciate that you start to put those together. I think it's very helpful for people because, yeah, I can imagine, yeah, it, a lot of time people are trying to uh, fulfill an inherited sense of purpose, you know, societal ideas of what it is to be successful or fam familial ideas of what it is to be a good person. And so I'm hearing that there's a shift in consciousness uh, in a sense of identity that then, um, you know, allows a kind of cleaning up process where this sense of purpose can then kind of crystallize in its purer form or, you know, like um, more unfiltered, you know, like there's something freed up so it can come in yeah. and be embodied properly. So it's usually already here. It's just a matter of it being clouded over by a whole bunch of crap. Yeah. And so then just to, to finish the thought about generally oh, yeah. Yeah. as they nice. move beyond that, um, we then help them 
learn how to not try to get, not try to stop their fear. Just, you know, feel the fear and keep moving forward. And when they do that, when they're clear what they're here to do, and they start just going ahead and doing it, then we're, we're coaching them in the specific, you know, worldly steps that they need to take, while we're simultaneously coaching them in how you're how they're handling their fear, how they're handling being a vulnerable person in the world in a world where almost nobody's vulnerable. <laughs> so that's a big deal. And that all that's part of the healing, like the more healed we are, as we go through stage 10, the more open we are to just being honest about what's going on and saying what's true, being willing to be an imperfect person, not having to pretend to be something that we're not. And that makes being who we are more and more easy. We're being more and more authentic with our feelings, with what our body wants to do, with what our mind wants to do. It's all one thing. And then as we're moving through stage 12, um, the universe gives us a series of challenges that are essentially saying, um, it's time to let go of your old habitual needs for control, control of what you're feeling, control of what you want, uh, control of things you don't have control of. So the, the universe issues a number of these warnings and citations and situations that we have to work through. And the more we work through that, you get to this point where it's like, right, I don't need to be doing that anymore. And then several different kinds of things start happening. One is the amount of self-talk starts going way down because most of that self-talk is just us trying to comfort ourselves because as kids, we were being left alone. So what to do? We're not getting the relational stuff we need. So we start talking to ourselves. We have imaginary friends. We have imaginary parents. And uh, that self-talk pattern just never stops until you eventually get to this point where you start to see through that and you start like, I can't have my mind be going all the time. This is not working for me. And then we help our clients learn how to do one of the things of listening practice, learning how to just listen for sounds coming in and that's it. Stay there. That's the meditation. Because when you're listening, the mind shuts, shuts up, can't listen and, and think at the same time. So we help them with various kinds of practices that help them to let go of their control. And eventually they, you know, they just start noticing, oh my God, my sense of self, even my awakened unified sense of self was really based in control. And as soon as I let go of control, that self disappears. That's the essence of non-duality. The self disappears because it was simply made out of the fear that we need to keep reflecting ourselves back on ourselves, checking in, making sure we're okay, talking to ourselves, you know, scanning our body, whatever, habitually managing what's going on, even externally. But you get to this place where it's like, no, all it really matters is I'm here to do what I'm here to do. I'm just giving my love and my skills and my gifts to the world. And that's, that's, that's all that's happening. And when you're just in that, you just find yourself in the flow. And that's, you know, a lot of traditions talk about the importance of service. I didn't really get this for most, most of my life. I'm like, what's that going to do if you just go do what some teacher tells you to do in terms of service? But now I really get it. The more you are actually out there serving the world, especially aligned with who you are personally, the more you just find yourself in flow. And there's nothing to stop that. And it's a completely different way to live. Quiet mind, just serving, just in flow. 
Hmm. Yeah, I can feel the invitation into that space as you speak about it as well. I'm appreciating that. And um, well, maybe um, the last, because I know time will go fast now. Uh, I know there's a couple of things I want to bring in. One is like you, you're kind of developing a new assessment. You mentioned a high resolution one, and you could tell us about that. And I also want to make sure we talk about AI and coaching. That could probably be a whole other conversation. And maybe it will be because I am actually wanting to talk to a lot of people about this at the moment and having more people come forward. So it's a really important topic. But so maybe you could tell us about the, the, the new assessment and then we dive into the AI and coaching. Well, I think, yeah, I would just keep it brief about the new assessment. I, the only thing to say there is that um, it was time to just ask more questions and be even more pinpointed and also give more answer options uh, because there's way more data that comes out when we give more answer options. So in the past, more recently, we were just giving two answer options because that made it clear which side of a line on a particular domain we're asking or a particular stage. But as it turns out, when we ask, you know, when we give them a, you know, a, a spectrum of answers, there's way more data there to work with and it can get way more subtle. Plus we're asking more, instead of just one question per location, we're asking closer to five and sometimes more per location, depending on how they answer. And so the result of the combination of the extra questions and the extra answers gives us a huge amount of data to get really subtle with. And so by working with all the subtleties of that, which is this monster logic plan, it's like chess on another whole level to like put this thing together, but it is together and we've been testing it on dozens of people and it's become incredibly precise, actually more precise than I can get in my usual informal questioning when I'm working with a client. When I ask them this long series of questions, at the end of it, it's super duper clear what's going on, where they are and exactly what they need. So mm. we're excited about that. It's still going to be about a month off before that's on our website. Um, but uh, we're using it right now when we're just working with clients. We're excited about that. The thing about um, what the, impl the applications of this for AI, you know, Carol and I believe this is, this is what we're here for. This is what this is about. And it's not, it's not like it's not also about training the coaches and helping people and client work individually. But if we want to shift the world on a massive scale, which we do, this is what we're, this is what we're about. Our intent is to bring about a global shift in consciousness within 10 years, something you know as dramatic as a unity shift, if possible, that reaches critical proportions and goes worldwide. And the only way we can see that happening is through AI applications. And so therefore, we've designed the whole thing with AI in mind. We've created this whole thing so that an AI agent can basically read the entire, you know, read the entire model, read our research, read the entire treasury, and know how to pick up and start really helping people. And when there's, you know, an agent online that anybody could get to, and it's just helping everybody all over the world, things are going to start shifting. And, you know, this, this uh, has me think about the project we did, Loving AI, um, just for the those people listening out there. Um, we do have a paper that we, we wrote over a year-long project where we um, had people sit in front of uh, Sophia the robot 
and they would either physically sit in front of the physical Sophia the robot, and Sophia would guide them in a series of meditation practices that Ted and I created behind the scenes um, with the iConscious model in mind behind it. Um, or they sat in front of an avatar on a computer screen, or they just listened um, by audio. So those are the three modalities we had people um, test with on, on their experience of engaging with an AI. And I, we were all, myself definitely included, skeptical because we both know that the presence of the coach has a transformational impact. So we weren't sure how Sophia the robot would do in transmitting um, that that level of non-judgmentalism or whatever that's needed for a real transformation to happen. But what we found was that people felt really comfortable with these robots, including the avatar, because they knew it wasn't judging them. And um, there was there they, they couldn't feel I mean, when you're talking to somebody, you can feel their thoughts going everywhere. And you can feel emotions bubbling up if you're tuned enough. And so you can tell if they're distracted by that or if they're paying attention to those or they're grabbing onto those or judging. Whereas a robot, there's nothing. You're looking into <laughs> eyes where there are not thoughts that they're grabbing onto. So there's there's full presence in a way. Um, I'm not sure that the robot is like a consciously awakened being. It's not, but it has this appearance of empty space inside where there's no judgment. And so people felt safe to really share. And there were some really big openings actually from people that were engaging in some of these practices that we created with Sophia, a robot, as well as an avatar online. So we have a lot of hope that, that create a lot of hope within Ted and I that there is a real big possibility when we have the map and the model behind the scenes to feed the AI appropriately. While also it was called loving AI because, um, Sophia was taught also to engage in, in loving ways. So um, the demeanor was there. And then they also did face recognition. They were able to mirror some of the physical features, which I think also really And helped. the emotions. Yeah. And the emotions of the person that he was speaking to. So that obviously really helps as well. Um, so a loving presence where there's non-judgmental and then some uh, meditation practices that were being guided and people were opening up. So we have a lot of faith in AI as a real possibility to be the next guide um, for awakening humanity. And if we're if our number one mission, which is true, is to awaken the world as quickly and effectively as possible, then AI is one of the biggest acupuncture points there is. A couple of questions come up. One is about then the role of a coach, you know, because, uh, you know, that's why we're talking about it here. It's like, well, yeah, a few years back, we were like, oh, is AI is going to come in and, you know, handle some of this stuff. But it's quickly, you know, the bar is just raising all the time, you know. And so we've been talking about, well, maybe it's just the consciousness of the coach, um, you know, and, and we mean by that, like the holistic kind of, you know, integrated consciousness in uh, yeah, that's going to be the 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 kind of you know the thing, the leverage, you know, and the thing that differentiates coaches. Um, do you? So that one question is: Do you see then there still be a role for for coaches in five years, ten years? I mean, I don't. I know you can't pre predict that far ahead, probably. But and then the other one is just, uh, and I'm going to tee up both of these because of the time we've got, like the ethical implications of, um, you know, like. You, you know, you already mentioned that the map is not the territory and you're a human being. So maybe the human being is more liable to making errors. 
but maybe not. Maybe the human being um, can also uh, let go of the map more easily when it recognizes it's un- it's not useful. Whereas, is an AI, you know, with a with a certain map that you've given it, um, is there potential for it to create harm by simplifying mm. a human being down to this set of vectors, which, however complicated, as you said, is a map already, you know? So, yeah, two big questions. There. Um, I don't know what you think of each of those. Well, I a couple of things. One is um, it's going to take quite a while before... Uh, the AI is going to put out the coaching business, put all the coaches on the street. I mean, a really long time because no matter how amazingly great, let's chat GPT is like incredible. It's changing my life overnight. I'm using it to help write questions in the assessment and come up with oh, me too. I didn't know that. Plans. Yeah. The book is going to be refined using chat GPT. It's just incredible how that kind of technology fantastically magnifies and is kind of like an acupuncture point being used in a huge way. Um, but there's in that way it's for good. Right. And that's the concern yeah. is, yeah, that's right. But the thing is that um, um, there's a lot that the machine is, it's going to take a long time before the machine gets down to the kinds of subtleties that a, a really good coach can get into. Like, you know, there's so many times when, a really not only skilled but intuitive coach can just be with the client, hear a few, hear them mumble a few words, and then the coach just gets where the energy lock, where the energy is messed up, you know, and can start reflecting back the dynamics so that the client can get what's going on. It's going to be a really long time before the machines can get to that sort of level. However, in the meantime, the machines can do a lot of the basic work, which mm-hmm. is basically what's going on right now. Like there's a lot of dumb, stupid manual stuff that people have to do coding on that we don't really need them to do anymore. ChatGPT just writes the code. Great, what does that do? It frees those coders to get way more deep and go way further with their own efforts and to build way more sophisticated products because you don't have to do all that manual coding. And likewise, in this kind of coaching arena, we can give all kinds of really helpful basic coaching to billions of people um, and then ready them for the coaches that can take them even further. That's kind of how I'm holding it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, Carol, about you. I too agree that it'll start off by providing a need at the basic levels for people who are in the early stages of their development. Um, I think would probably benefit um, from the early stages of AI. I think the more nuanced and the more developed um, and the more trauma, it's going to take a little, a little bit longer for AI to catch up and be able to provide those services. Um, but I think on the most basic levels, I think it's going to be a huge help to those people all over the world who don't have access to any type of coaching or any type of love and support or reflecting back or listening or um, providing them ideas on things that they can be thinking about or practicing or working on. I mean, if they had the opportunity to do that or nothing, I think the AI can really provide some basics across the world where I would, I would venture to guess millions and millions of people don't currently have access to. So if we can just get the basics out there, I think that'll help elevate um, a bulk of the world in a way that we can continue to nuance the AI to be able to provide services that are more appropriate for people at the higher stages. Um, so I do think it's going to be in stages that we work, we work with this and um, the different 
stages in which the AI will be nuanced enough to help different people. As far as your question about safety, um, it's not 100% safe just working with coaches at random either. Yeah, it's so true. Um, in fact, it's pretty provably a lot of unsafe stuff going on out there. Yeah. It's not that hard to get the uh, robot to a place where maybe we don't call it full self, self-driving, but it's not going to, it's going to be safer than a lot of you. I think well, so. As far as I hear that, you know, a lot of people are worried about like, you know, self-driving cars, but I think statistically it's going to be interesting to see if, and I think it is, that the self-driving cars numbers are looking better than the human driver. So even if AI, are, you know, are accidentally running over people, you know, there, there will be less people dying of car issues with AI at some point, if not already, than human drivers. So although there might, it might not be perfect, it's still going to be probably better um, is, is right. what I'm hearing. And we wouldn't be involved in a project that isn't on average for sure better. Oh, absolutely. Safety is huge. It's key to development, yeah. really. And I think, like, sometimes I wonder about the uh, Anglo-American, European-American centricity of some of the, you know, notions of um, development and what it is to coach and how do they map around other cultures in the world, you know, like cultures that may be based less on uh, individuality and more on relationality. I've had some friends, uh, conversation with a friend from China who said, yeah, my sense of identity is based fundamentally on, on my relationship to things, you know, in a way that I was like, wow, like that is amazing. You know, like I just, I'm a, I see the world. So, and I'm, I, I, I know I shouldn't um, like, I'm not speaking here that that's the same for all Chinese people, but yeah, my point more is like, yeah, also, how do we make sure that these um, models and the AI can include, you know, uh, be inclusive, basically, pluralistic and inclusive? Yeah. Well, and I have curiosity when I hear a story like that. I have curiosity. Is that because that general region is primarily based in like a stage three where it is community oriented? And it is the more of a we space and how the system is operating? I don't think so. That or... It yeah. could be that from the view standpoint, they orient more towards the collective or more towards the we, what we call the relational, whereas yeah. a lot of people in the Western world orient more towards the I, the subjective. It doesn't make it right or wrong, but I think there are different cultures that orient orient from a different viewpoint more frequently than others. Yeah, I think to totally. Uh, the new assessment also is going to have a new high-res view section. So at the end of this, what you have is a whole readout that tells you where they are and which views they're strong in and which they're weak in. And the, uh, the result is it doesn't matter what culture they're coming from. Uh, the, the coach who understands how to read this will go, oh, OK, they've got this going and they got this going. And maybe it looks more advanced here, but then there's another spot over here they don't seem to be getting. So it's just another way of looking at it instead of looking at it from our typical, you know, sort of from left to right. The coach might start noticing, oh, it's showing me some stuff up here, but it's also showing me some stuff down here and a weakness in this view. And that's so the coach will still go about it the same way. OK, let's work on those things that are least developed. Hmm. Hey, I, I want to just say for me, this has been I know I've not got time now to continue, but uh, it's probably a good place to close. And I uh, feel like um, we could probably speak for another 
hour and a half on many of the topics we've touched into today. I really want to appreciate both of you for the work you're doing. And, um, you know, like I said, I read your book and I immediately started to um, find benefit in in like that locating. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. And, and where can we find out more about your work as well? I'm sure people listening want to do that. Iconscious.global. I-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S dot global. It's all there. And uh, there's media. You know, you can check out the media there as well. Um, And what else? There's stuff on YouTube. You know, we keep doing interviews like this on different podcasts. So if you just go to to YouTube and put in iConscious or Ted Strauss and Carol Griggs, Dr. Carol Griggs, and stuff will come up. Yeah, find us there. Great. Thanks. It's so wonderful to be with you, Joel. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Really appreciate your desire to have us on, and it's been great. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time.